Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high rise in beautiful Beverly Hills adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign, this is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me once again this week, Mark McGrath, the singer of Sugar Ray and the host of Mark McGrath's 120, heard weekends on the 90s on 9 here on Sirius XM. Hello, buddy. Welcome back. Long time no see. Mike Tully, always a pleasure, man. Always fun to hear from the people on social media, too, man, that they uh, are enjoying this as much as I think you and I are enjoying this. Yes, and they have the same feeling that you and I so often have, which is that we're kind of just getting warmed up when the outro music starts to play. I, I feel the same way. You know, and then we're just like, is that it? You know, I, I mean, know. it goes by just like that. But that means we're, it's compelling. It means we're doing something right. Leave them one and more. You're doing something. I've never done that before. Yeah, you, you do it. You do it every day. Are you kidding me? Elvis, Elvis always said, Elvis Presley said, to leave him wanting more. And that's why Elvis always had jugglers opening up for himself. Because he go, he never challenged himself. If you look at Elvis Presley's sort of tour itineraries, mm-hmm. he, no one's ever opened for Elvis. Really? You know, you just have jugglers or some kind of like, you know, non-threatening. Yeah, you know, Elvis wanted to be the king, and he and he wouldn't do shows longer than like 75, 90 minutes because he wanted to leave them wanting more. little Colonel Tom Parker uh, philosophy. There's definitely something to be said for that. I often feel that way when I watch movies. I wonder why they haven't come to the same conclusion that I have. I think most people will agree that when you go see some big, bloated Hollywood epic very often you go, that was good, I wish it had been 20 minutes shorter. And we all know that time is very literally money when it comes to putting things up on the screen. And if a movie is long enough, one of, here's something you may not have known or, or thought about. When Titanic came out and broke all those records for box office, they were really only showing it once a night. Because it's so long. Right. They would start it at 7. They couldn't do the second screening until like 10, 20 and then that was three hours. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And it broke all those records. They could only do it in one screening a night because, you know, you could put it in multiple theaters. And of course they did. Yes, but of course. if it's a 90 minute movie, you get two pretty in pinks for one Titanic. <laughs> exactly. You know? And I, man, I, I, I've always felt that way about live music. It's funny for somebody who obviously loves music and loves playing music live, I, I get tired very easily of seeing it live. I, I, if push comes to shove, I always say my favorite concert I went to as someone who doesn't go to a lot of live music is Oasis on their second tour. And then I remember being downstairs in the lobby having cigarettes for a decent portion of it. Right. Because I needed a break. Right. And this is the best concert I've ever been to. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I just watched the Pixies live in 1991 at Brixton Academy on YouTube like um, a couple nights ago. And the show was like... 75 minutes long. And uh, now Pixie songs are like a minute They're and a half. They're two, two minutes, minutes anyway, yeah. yeah. But I was like, aww. Yeah, right, it's right. It's very rare that I'm left wanting more, even Especially when it's a watching I something in a, in a 2D situation, right? Yeah. I mean, you're watching something on uh, on film. But, I mean, the Pixies, let's, let's be honest, there was no Nirvana without the Pixies. You know, the Pixies started it all. And, uh, you know, the funniest thing, when I moved to City City, uh, my neighbor was Joey Santiago from the, the guitarist. Pixies. Yeah. 
nicest guy in the world. I'm Same sitting here pushing a stroller once with my babies, and he's going by too. And I, 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 he goes, Mark? And I go, Joey? Like, we'd never met before, but I'm such a fan of the band. And it turned out to be the loveliest guy and uh, lives a block away. And then, then Jerry Cantrell lived two blocks away. And I, I think what I'm trying to tell people there is the studios where you go out to pasture, uh, the, the uh, valleys where you go out to pasture mm-hmm. when you find kids. And you find yourself walking around with, like, you know, strollers and stuff and looking at other people going, I won't tell if you don't tell, dude. You know what I mean? Because, like, the secrets of Hollywood are just permeating out there in the valley. And That's then you go really out there funny. and you coach Little League. And there you are. Um... I, I I felt watching. Did you the like concert. Titanic? I've never seen Titanic. Oh come on, come on! Don't you know I'm that guy? No, you're not. Not just like not even a light, lazy Sunday. You and your wife sitting there, it just comes on. You've seen portions of Titanic. I haven't it's had possibly. To, I haven't way. had a lazy Sunday in ooh, <laughs> seven and a half years. Um, no, point, I've never point. seen. I I know I've seen like little clipettes of it on TV. Like I've never seen. I've never. I don't start t- to finish. No, 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 and I mean, I've never um, like had T- TNT on where I ended up seeing ten minutes of it. Like I've seen maybe thirty seconds of it in something on some package TV show. No, zero desire to find out what all the hubbub and like the social, you know, uh, uh, juggernaut is about. Very, very little. You it don't is... feel left out. You know what I mean? It's... No. What is the I? I guess what is the opposite of I, I, feeling I left like, out? <laughs> I have like included. I have like Jimo. I have joy in missing out. <laughs> You are a contrarian, my friend. I am friend. such a dick, and you know <laughs> what's the best. what's nice is that. Uh, oh, and this kind of this kind of will dovetail. I'll make it dovetail into what I'd like for us to talk about today. Um, enough time goes by that these things stop feeling so loaded and so important. Well said. I'm, I'm in this camp. There, you know, I I like Tim Burton. Therefore, I have no interest in seeing Titanic. And you gotcha. get to the point where you can enjoy both equally on their own merits. You do. And, and when is that? When you just become like Ford? You know, when you stop caring anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, remember when you were young and music was like it defined who you were. Yeah. That's like exactly I listened to the is. Damned. I listened to Pistols. I listened to Clash. I listened to nothing else, even though I did. On the, mm-hmm. on the but, I'm, but my peachy folder had the Damned, the Clash, and Sex Pistols on it. Uh-huh. Then you fall in love and your heart breaks and you're like man that air supply song's really speaking to me you yeah, know what i mean right. so life experiences make you stop caring and it's a beautiful beautiful uh uh, uh liberating position to be in yeah i think you- more than anything it just it doesn't it 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 loses its grip on your identity yes and therefore it, it, it's not loaded in that same way where if i were to go back and you know streaming services like pandora and spotify make it so easy for us yeah. to go and I find myself doing this more and more. Bands that I know I won't like, just saying, "Well, what was the deal with them? Let me listen to their seven album run." Right, right. Just because I can. Right. I find know? that with records, I do that very thing. Yeah. What made Dark Side of the Moon so great? I mean, mm-hmm. I was just an example, but you know yeah. what I mean. So I'll listen to it in its entirety and its sequential order, which was so important back then, the sixties and seventies, and how to listen to a record. So yeah. I'll go, "What made that Bob Dylan record so great? What did I miss?" So you're right. Streaming services are great in that sense. Yeah. But if you're a songwriter, it's like, you know, no, no, no. Yeah, a little yeah. bit of a pinch in the uh, in the in the lower region, if you know. What I'm like saying. so much of the internet, very, very good for the consumer, not so great for the uh, for the supplier. And I find it so interesting that we we remember singles, and yes. there's all of these. It's crazy. It, it, it's as if um, every movie that was big in the '70s or '80s, they only showed 15 minutes of it on TV. Because they're like, ah, that's the part everybody remembers, right? <laughs> right, exactly. It's just crazy. You go back. I mean, I listened to. I think I may have mentioned this to you last time. I went and listened to. I think it was the yeah the Like a Prayer album by yeah. Madonna, uh-huh. just because. 
I mean, three songs from that, nothing was bigger than those. No. And nobody could name one of the other nine. Isn't that funny? It's so crazy. And of course, some of them were okay. So it was actually a decent album. Towards the end, I think she saw the writing on the wall, and um, I know this for a fact, actually, and had to kind of transition out of being a... a she's, she, when your fans grow up, you need to be an album artist more than you can just be a That's single right. artist. So she was trying to make albums, and to a great extent, she succeeded... Isn't it crazy, like, there were nine singles off of Thriller and nobody can name the tenth song? Oh, you probably can. Well, I probably probably can't, but... uh, Like, The the Love of My Life? Yeah, it was was a a ballad written by uh, David Foster and... uh, Who's David Foster? David Foster did every Whitney Houston, every Celine Dion. I think he produced, here, there, wherever you are. I I mean, uh, forgive me if he didn't, but... Titanic. It's Yeah, exactly. So so it's... uh, He he and Diane Warren are this amazing combination of songwriter-producer. David Foster is just a legend in the business. He's probably the most famous person that nobody knows. Right, because Diane... Warren, I think most people that name comes up. Maybe oh, yeah. I'm wrong. Well, she's won a bunch of Oscars, and she's she's written every straight down Broadway sappy amazing ballad you've ever heard. Yeah, was I'm, she even like uh, when when Aerosmith? She wrote. Dropped, I don't. I don't want us to think. Yeah. Aerosmith's only number one song. Uh-huh. Only number one of right. this incredible catalog. Yeah. Was written by Diane, War- Diane oh. Warren. Wasn't even written by Aerosmith. We're gonna we're gonna do that one of these days. That's um, a good one to do right there. Artist highest charting singles. Yeah, and because... you'll be blown away that like Bruce Springsteen's never had a number one. No way. Yeah, right. Or or you know you know those ten songs you know by so and so. Here's their highest charting one. Exactly. It's either one you don't know or one that you don't care for. That's another thing that time revisits and you know what I mean and revises. You yeah. forget. You know. It's amazing. I I, I was listening to the '80s countdown and you're obviously uh, deeply involved in the '90s countdown. The yeah. songs that are. Um, you know, you might find out that, say, like Tainted Love peaked at number 14, for example. Maybe it right. didn't. And then there's some song that was like, sometimes the top five has right. four songs you haven't heard since yeah. 1986. Like Sugar Free by Wawa Nee is like, yeah, yeah, was number yeah. three. And you're like, what? I yeah. haven't heard that since that. It was on the charts. You say know? La Vie by Robbie Neville. Not, yes. Not hey, really vie. making the rounds. You know, I heard on the way over was Sexy Lady by. by uh, by Don, uh, by Glenn Fry, and, and because you were a sexy lady, sexy. You remember that? It was in 1984, and I'm like, I got oh a, my god, I hadn't heard it since '84, but it was a big hit. It's exactly what we're talking about. I got a big problem with Glenn Fry. Oh, I know you do. I, I know you. You don't like the Eagles, period, right? Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I like the bass player that they have. <laughs> <laughs> you, like, you're a Randy Meisner fan. <laughs> oh, you're Timothy B. Schmidt. Fan. Yeah, he's been on this show. The, oh, he has. Yeah, he seems like the loveliest, most granola eaten. I'm so mm-hmm. balanced. In my life yep. guy in the exactly what you, he's exactly what you think he is yeah I yeah. tried to do a little muckraking did not get very he wasn't much. having it he wasn't having it <laughs> you get any secrets I did not get <laughs> I did not get secret number one but I just uh, yeah, I just wanted to catch the vibes off that guy you know he signed an NDA the second he walked in to first meeting with Glenn and Don I know? didn't even think about that do you know right. the Eagles saw it, which is amazing and, and, and God bless the man that uh that, Glenn Fry is no longer with us. Uh, I, to me, wrote some amazing songs. His son is filling in for him on the Eagles, and yes. they're selling out around the world. And uh, it's an amazing thing. I get mixed up because they got they got the Fry kid, the, uh, Fleetwood Mac have got Mike Campbell and, and Neil Neil Finn from okay. Crowded House. Mike Campbell from the uh, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, of course. Of course. And uh, Neil Finn from Crowded House. And apparently, I've been told, during Fleetwood Mac set, one of the highlights, a la the Eagles when Joe Walsh plays, is when Neil Finn does Don't Dream It's Over by Crowded House. 
Oh. With Stevie Nicks doing some of the harmony, which to nice. me sounds fantastic. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm a huge Crowded House and Neil Neil uh, Neil Finn fan. So, you know, it's it's amazing. But people, this nostalgia thing, people are holding on to it because there's really not a lot of bands coming after these superstars die. Right. Now, when I say that, I mean these legendary bands. There are a few Coldplay, and depending on what your what your style, what your you know, two, there's depending on what your, your flavor is. But you know, once Fleetwood Max falls off the thing, and Rolling Stones, Mick just had to cancel a tour because mm-hmm. of I mean, these guys are. They're, these like stalwarts of the touring industry that are still in the top 10 yearly are leaving us. Yeah. And you're going to be left with a bunch of Smash Mouth Sugar Raves and uh, <laughs> Everclear. <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be ready to clean up. Oh, you got it, baby. Super Bowl <laughs> 2040. Sugar Ray, is that all we got this year? <laughs> <laughs> What's the last um, album that was released recently that you actually would habitually listen to all the Post way through? Post Malone's. Okay. Yeah, beer bongs and Bentleys and things like that. And it's interesting. Do kids get you into that, or are you no, just still a taste? No, I'll tell you why. Uh, I, I'm in a band called Royal Machines with yes. Dave Navarro, and uh, you know we, we we get like Ozzy Osbourne, and we have Josh Freeze, one of the best drummers in the world, and Chris Chaney, and Billy Morrison, and, and a host of other people, and we, we play corporate shows. Well, we had Post Malone play with us uh, about a year and a half ago out in San Francisco, and he said, dude, I've got a new song on my record called Sugar Wraith. I guess a Rolls Royce is a Wraith, a, a Phantom Wraith. There's a version of a Bentley uh, called a Wraith that uh, I wouldn't know. I haven't made a, a dollar since 2001. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but apparently he goes, I got a song called Sugar Wraith. I'd love you to come down and sing on the, the hook. On the bar. It's about two years ago. I go, yeah, kid, you know, I'll be right there. So exchange numbers. I never did anything. Never called him, blah, blah, blah. Record comes out. It's track number 12. says Sugar Wraith on it. And it says, I just want to fly. Put your arms around me, baby. And you just use a quick little part of it for his his record. So naturally, I got into the record and ended up loving it top to bottom. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Spider-Man song, uh, Sunflower, is one of the best songs I've ever heard in my life. Mm, okay. I, 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 no, no, no. I have not heard it. Do you know it? I'll get to it right after I get to Titanic. Yeah, I know, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, so he's, he's a guy to me that... In the sort of world of like mumble rap, I guess the kids are calling it, he's huh. really sticking out because he's super talented. And I think he did Rage Against the Machine, Pearl Jam, and Allison Chains with us that night. Spot on, perfect delivery. The guy can play guitar, he can do it all. So cool. How about you? Um, I did ask, hoping you would ask me back. Um, <laughs> I saw that go. When is he going to shut up? Because that's that's I, the first. I, I haven't done it in the longest time. I finally started listening to the most recent Avalanches album, and I love. Are you familiar with the Avalanches I, at all? Are they UK band? Aren't they? They're from Australia. Okay, Australia. So they're like the the long awaited dream, or they were in two thousand one, of making records out of other records, no other instrumentation, just all samples. Wow, and it's really it's really cool. I hate that. It's nice that you and I like talking about old music and that people will listen to it because we all know what we're talking about. And I don't know what we're going to do culturally moving forward when, to me, this is a pretty big album and I'm not shocked that you're not familiar with it. And I'm positive that like 75% of people who are listening to this right now also don't know what I'm talking about. So it's kind of it's kind of lame that we're just not talking. But it's got 500 million streams on it, right? It's, it's a really it was a really, really big deal. And it was really uh, Madonna cleared a sample for it so for, at the time was the only time that she'd done that. They I said, well, what, what a bitch to try and clear all these samples. I mean, yeah. so they, don't, they don't write anything? Well, they supposedly physically... when they were making it, they weren't thinking it was going to get a wide release. So that <laughs> yeah, act... usually happens to something good. So they actually had to go back through and be like, wait, what was this again? What was that again? Well, and remember, so took... Remember the last person that did that after they released the song? The Verb? Is this the Verb again? <laughs> yeah, well, so, always go back to that. This is, they so... steal the masters, correct? Yeah. 
Yeah. So let me, let me do it. The Avalanche is a group, or is yeah. it two guys? Avalanche is two main guys, but I think there's like really like 15 people in the periphery. It's it, super common. I'm sure, I'm sure their, their contracts like, are real. It's like Chumbawamba with yeah. like 100 different anarchistic yeah. members. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so they, 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 they still, they, they put, I won't, I won't say still, they put masters of already existing songs together. Yeah. Correct? Yeah. Nothing's original. But it's like in like a Paul's boutique kind of way where there might be like five different things happening at a time. It's How this did really this escape big, me? It sounds fantastic. It's so good. Do you know, I'm so fortunate. I was reading this thing in uh, Spin or something like that in mm-hmm. 2001, and there was this tiny little box on the bottom of one page. And I was like, here's the new shit you should check out this month. And it was Avalanches, and it was Desaparecidos, which is the only emo band I've ever really gotten into. Connor Obers from Bright Eyes mm-hmm. Side Project. It's mm-hmm. like the Bruce Springsteen of emo. It's so fucking good. And this was right when uh, Stealing Music Online first got really big. So yeah. you could actually go, oh, what the fuck is that? Let me just find out right, right now. Right, right, And I, it's like two of my favorite bands that I happen to get out of this one page of spin that I happen to steal off of LimeWire in 2001 in my apartment in the East Village. Um, so the Avalanches took uh, 15 years to make a follow-up. You've got to be kidding me! And it's it's incredible. It's just it's, do they play live, Mike? Uh, I do believe they do some kind of touring. I think this time around they may have just cut to the chase a little bit more because you imagine how frustrating it is when you're like, okay, I found this thing and I found this other thing no. and I stuck them together and those are cool. Wouldn't it be really great if I could just get a blah 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 to hold that together? Who did that? Let me go find that. I think at that point this time around they're like, let's record. The yeah. thing that we know that we're looking for. So I think they can tour and play. I think they have live music with a lot of other samples. So and if you go on their website, you will see tour dates potentially. Yeah, I think they might be done touring the thing. Because I looked. Because, again, being I haven't watched Titanic yet. I haven't listened to Post Malone yet. This is one of my favorite bands. It took me three years to listen to their follow-up <laughs> right. album. When they well, finally one, released their Chinese Democracy. Yeah, next, exactly. The yeah. next one's coming out in 2034. So It's the only... Yeah. You know, speaking of leaving them wanting more, I really was like... I I need more of when are these guys going to make more of this which is such a depressing thought to have when you realize it took them 15 years to make yeah. these 15 songs yeah. the answer is probably never talk about uh, le- well, what's it such a difficult mosaic to create yeah. I mean, imagine being their manager All right dude here's the 5,000 samples we need to clear uh huh you, 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 I don't they even got, understand how that works publishing wise. I don't understand it. They got, so you, not only do you have to clear the sample from Madonna, she's got to agree to the percentage she's getting with the song that you're sampling from, um, you know, Cocktoo Twins, wherever else mm-hmm. you're sampling. You know what I mean? Yeah. That is an incredible endeavor. Have to, to and most of it is not. It's it's not Madonna and Cocktoo Twins. It's Madonna and some Bossa Nova record from right. 1940, which makes it even harder. Which who owns this thing? Some estate owns some, yeah. some sugar plantation. They got a song because I think they were a bunch of abortion projects along the way, one of which was like an adaptation of Yellow Submarine for children. So they have a song that has Bismarck rapping. It's an original rap that he made, and it's called Noisy Eater, and it's just about how he's eating cereal and he's really noisy. And then the, the chorus is the verses of uh, Come Together by the Beatles sung by an Australian like children's choir, oh. and they got McCartney and Yoko to sign off on it. Look at the layers of that thing. My God, you, you mentioned Bismarck. He got nailed in the late 80s. for He, he sampled Alone Again Naturally, didn't mm-hmm. clear it. No. And it, it. That began the uh, the the... 
artists starting to come down hard on samples. Yeah. And I think Bismarcky got sued and the whole thing. So uh, it's just kind of going back to how it all kind of started, the sampling back in the 80s. And yeah. then, uh, you know, they found out there was a, it was commercially viable. And then people were like, wait a minute, you're not stealing my stuff. Because like it, like a Napster, it became uncool when Lars challenged Napster. It got a little uncool to start challenging these hip-hop artists in the late 80s, 90s. I'm old, early 90s. I'm old enough to remember that. So there yeah. was this weird, you know, weird like friction between commerce and, and art that started in like the late 80s that what Napster kind of uh, went through too. But yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. You, you think yeah. Lars was right or wrong in retrospect? I mean, can you can you, can you look at it objectively? Um, he, well, he was right. Yeah. I don't think there was any question about the fact that having his stuff stolen was illegal. And that, just because people that, just because people liked it and it was easy, yeah, but that, that's that's my thing. Is it's like it's it's easy to steal something from a store too, but you don't. That was real, real, real easy. Where's the moral compass end and start? Nobody like was I, getting nobody was getting caught. Like kids who shoplift eventually do get. That caught. is true. It will, yeah, and and it's the it's scary. To yeah. do it, it wasn't scary no, to right, steal right. stuff off of Napster, and it's intangible. It's it's like it's in the ether. It's nothing you can touch. You yeah. know? and I think that's what makes intellectual property uh, seem so invaluable to people. It's like, oh, it's not a physical thing. You know what I mean? And that's that's what makes it strange. Well, and it's not sympathetic when it's at uh, all. I remember South Park. You feel bad stealing from the Rolling Stones. Oh, poor Mick Jagger. Hey, South Park uh, yeah. killed it at the time, as they so often did and continue to do. Where it was, uh, they showed him sitting in his backyard, and it's like, here's Lars Ulrich. He wanted to buy a, a guitar-shaped pool, and now he's going to have to wait another month. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't help the uh, artist's sympathy at all, because yeah. it is that stupid. You yeah, know? yeah, 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 yeah. But, 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 and, and they weren't the ones who were getting killed, and nobody cares about anything anymore, but I think the Portis head guy this time around was talking about the Spotify's and the Pandora's, and he's like, hey man, I'm Portis head. Time was, I could retire comfortably on those two albums we made. Here's my check for the last three months. It's $1,000. And I mean, is that cool? I mean, and again, Portishead can go play festivals. They're going to be fine. It's also the guys you don't know that are really hurt, that get hurt by that. That was their pension. That was their songwriting really. That yep. was their salary. Yeah. Most guys are getting hurt the most. It's not, look, Metallica, they always play stadiums and, and Portishead's fine. And, and, and myself, I'm, I, God bless, I get to perform enough and I get to uh, provide a living. But it's 90% of the songwriters out there that, that made their money by contributing to some songs. It, it's evaporated. That's the tough part. They don't get to play live. You know? Yeah, yeah. All right, let's do a thing in the in the in the few minutes that remain to us. <laughs> Sorry. <dude. laughs> um, okay. <clears throat> Was there a thing, a, a dominant form of music that came along towards the end of uh, Sugar Ray's big run that you got the sense, either overtly or implicitly, we need to adapt and sound more like blah blah blah, or else we're out of the game? I don't recall such a thing. There wasn't a uh, we need to change. It was like. We're over. We're done. Okay. It's when Interpol, The Strokes, um, bands of that nature kind of came in with that lo-fi approach to rock and roll again. You know, it was like a band again. And, you know, sort of the big bombastic pop songs were going away. It was skinny jeans and vintage T-shirts. And I could just see the writing on the wall in 2001 when The Strokes came out, Interpol. I go, well, we're definitely never going to get played on K-Rock again. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I could see change there. 
But was I going to say, hey, Sugar Ray needs to sound more like Interpol now? I, I, you know, it's like if you're lucky, you have a four or five year run being a mm-hmm. professional band. You know, you get on the radio and then because that's about the time it takes your brother or sister to cycle out of high school. And then you become uncool again unless yeah. you become a legacy act and you're fortunate enough to become the U2s, uh, the Eagles or ACDCs that all of us tried to be. So I always think like this. I got more than I deserved as a musician. But yes, it was a very obvious sea change coming yeah. when, when those bands came out of New York. And then I think there was bands uh, uh, coming out of England, too, that were really sort of representative of that, uh, of that sort of that feel. It was a change in the air. It was the garage rock revival. It was, We MTV, were not. MTV yeah. told me. We were never cool. So we never worried about that. And we never traded on our credibility. But I just knew that that, that was the end. There was something new coming. I feel like there have been a couple of things that have uh and when we're in the middle of one right now I, I you know we do a new music segment on the Jason Ellis show mm-hmm. and it, one of my favorite subplots is who's gone EDM now yeah. you know, I was going to play it's not even worth playing but like you're Mark, not playing my, David Lee Roth and Jump are you No like Did like, you hear that? Did he do an EDM version of o- it? Over the weekend at the Ultra Festival mm-hmm. he I think it's forgive me guys if I get wrong Martin Van Buren uh, there's a, a van something. I think he was a vice president. It maybe he was a, one of those uh, one of those EDM vice presidents. But a, uh, or a lesser something like that. But he did a version of Jump live mm-hmm. with him at Ultra Festival, and just Google it for fun. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. Yeah. All right, I, w- I, I will do that. Yeah. Right, so uh, Mark Hoppus from Blink-182, who I'm a fan of. and What is this creature? Is Simple Creatures? Is that it? Uh, I, yeah, it might be. It's him and some other guy from some other- From lesser, all, all uh, that remain- No, no, remains. No, I want to uh, say Alex is on fire. I don't know. No, it's, it's that it's that band sounds like a big one too. Oh, God, what's her name? We, we're, we're terrible. We are getting old. And like Those things won't stick in my brain uh, anymore. I can uh, I can find out. It's Mark making Hoppus me mad. They're big in band. England. They're big in England. Uh, Alex Gasgarth of- He's the last remaining original member of, um, of Blink-182 now. Simple Creatures is... Why well, can't remember that name? Uh, it's an all-time low. All-time low, that's it. Right. They do a cover of something, right? I saw the EP come out, and there's a cover song on there, right? Is it a mm. Depeche Mode cover? I don't know about that. They, uh... Hold on. I'm me... getting you way off your topic, too. No, 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 no. no. It, it is kind of on topic in a way. They're going electronic, is what you're saying. Yeah. Well, I just think it's funny when these things come along where you can either sound modern and not sound anything like what you used to sound mm-hmm. like or you can sound like a dinosaur and I, you know i i think that there are a lot of bands who rightly or wrongly feel like that is their choice and so they've just become what they are in in i, I can't think of other good examples off the top of my head acdc but, but whatever like whatever they were they were they are now in name only they're an AD, they're an edm band with their singer on top of it and it's very uh, similar to me to what happened in the 80s when there were all these bands who, you know, that's still Starship, but that could be absolutely any oh, anybody. group in the world. It just has Grace Slick singing on it. And there's a million examples of groups who, who, who came to that point where it's like, we go to the oldie circuit if we don't embrace this very specific 80s template, which has nothing to do with what we were five years ago. I hear exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Uh, and and you're trying to ask who are the bands that have had success by changing in that manner? No, no, no. I'm I'm building to a point very poorly. So this is the single from Simple Creatures. It's not terrible. You've seen a lot of kids' movies. 
Is this in a kids movie? It feels like a kids movie song. I just like melody. I like harmony. Yeah. So it's okay, but it's not Blink One Eighty Two. Obviously, no, 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 but, but isn't that what he's trying to do, though? You know, this kid's this kid's from the band. What was that again? Uh, All, All time, time low. low was trying to be Blink One Eighty Two from mm-hmm. from uh, self admitted apparently. Okay, uh, and so this guy's getting to work with his hero, Mark Hoppus. And Mark Hoppus is, you know, he's old enough to remember the, uh, you know, the eighties and Depeche Mode and all that stuff, and have some fun with it. And I think this, you know. What are you trying to say with this? I'm trying, okay. to, I'm trying to figure out where you're going with this because I want to know and I want to grasp onto it. Disco. Disco yes. is where I'm going with this. Okay. To me, maybe rock and roll before it, but disco is the first great line in the sand of this thing shows up and it becomes the dominant form of popular music and bands adjust that, to it. Have that choice to either. It, and rightly or wrongly, because some bands like ACDC, probably somebody said, hey, do we need to go disco? And they said, no. And they were right. And someone said to the Stones, do we need to go disco? And they said, yes. And, then, and guess what? Yeah. And they we, were right. And what they said was, what a great song, though. Right. Now, I think even Keith Richards has come around on this. Oh. You know why this song's so great? It's a disco song. Listen to the beat. Listen to the drums. But it's so inherently the Stones yes. still. That's when you win. I mean, make, make, listen to that. I don't listen to the song and think disco. Do you? No, no, not no, like no. I was made for loving you by Kiss. When I hear that, I Which go may or may not be next on my list. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 we don't, we don't need to go. We don't leave, need to leave the song so quickly. But you're, you're going to. Uh, we we can go back to no, that. no, no, no. No, but my point is, this is a perfect execution of something new coming along to a band that's a little older and seeing a new trend in front of them. Now, they could have said, let's make a punk rock record, because punk and disco were, you know, they, they were sort of reaction to each other and happening at the same time, 76, 77, 78. Um, Stones go, let's uh, let's try this uh, this uh, disco thing. They, they nailed it with this. Well, do you mi- like this? Mi- mixed set, yeah, I do, yeah. Or do you hate the Stones? I don't hate the Stones. I'm I'm pretty indifferent towards them, but that's that's good Stones for sure. That's one of your favorite Stones songs. Um, sure. Uh, <laughs> this was I did a little homework on these, just trying to put this list together. Mick was hanging out at Studio Fifty Four. Was like, I want to do one of these disco songs, and Keith was just like, No, you got to pick your battles. Yeah, fine. Charlie, give me four on the floor, mm-hmm. and. Then he he said, and I don't know if this is revisionist history in his own mind, that he was like, oh, we can actually kind of, we can do something stones with this. Stones it out. We yeah. can stones this out. And I think that that's kind of what the the good, and I've separated these into the, the good, the bad, and the ugly of disco crossover, right. is when artists were able to find something of themselves in the new genre, well, then that's great. That can, that can rejuvenate. Oh, without a doubt. And still be yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the tough thing is incorporating that new sound into the integrity of your sound. Yeah, so Kiss, everybody knows I was made for loving you. Their biggest song, by the way, to this day. Mm. Beth was bigger. It's their number, okay, it's their, it's definitely their number one song. According to Wikipedia, it's their, it was their biggest single. Beth is their biggest song. I know it because it bothers Gene and Paul so bad that, that Peter Chris wrote it. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. It's definitely their biggest song on maybe Euro song or whatever. Yeah, yeah on Spotify. They're it's okay. That that, that I would agree. Right, not their only foray into disco, by the way. Bass is rocking. See, this is bad. Yes, this is not them. This is. 
you know, Nile Rodgers telling him where to go. You know, it's just, it's just not. <laughs> Nile, Nile Rodgers, I have a feeling, produced every album that came out for about three years. And then he took about 15 years off and then he started producing And then every did every one. Yeah, exactly. Which is, I don't have any problem oh, with he's, that. He's an amazing, amazing talent. Yeah, I really yeah that, like that sucks. But it, I was made for loving you. Do you like or not like? Uh, well, I like disco. Do Me you too. Like, do you like disco? I love disco. I got made fun of in third grade for bringing, I brought all disco records to the dance. You brought your own records. That's how old I am. Mm-hmm. Everybody brought Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin. I brought all my 45s with all my names on them so you knew they were mine. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'm still injured by the, the, the verbal drubbing and almost physical beating I received by bringing village people, uh, Donna Summer and all that. Too. Yeah, oh, Donna Summer. Yeah. Come on, good stuff. I love that she made it out of disco. The, to be the, she made it into the eighties. She be, made it into the eighties with a you know she was half of the money. You know, she even really, later than that, I heard a song. I didn't. I didn't realize it's so funny when they tell you the backstory and it's like almost obvious that uh, I'm going crazy just to let you know. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. That's what that's, year was that? Like eighty nine or something. Wow. This time I know it's for real. She, yeah, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Came from the. Uh, the production fun factory that had uh, just finished churning out Rick Astley. Oh, and it's fucking it makes a amazing. Ton of sense. You think of the song, and it's like it makes a ton of sense. Exactly. You no, know. it's like he just passed. It just on. didn't get to it. You know. Yeah, he already had four of those. So Donna Summer did one. It's amazing. I found a live version of that that she was still kicking ass, and that she I passed forgot. away recently. Right? Donna yeah, Summer did pass yeah, away, and, yeah, she, and uh, she was touring some VH1 tour, and. It, She's she was great. She's great to the end. Uh, amazing talent. I yeah, mean, yeah, she, yeah. Uh, uh, like you know, Diana Ross esque, if you will. I wonder how many streams Never Gonna Give You Up has on on Streamville. Well, I know it's really big on uh, on, I mean, a- on April first. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, let me see. And then of uh, course, uh, um, um, mm-hmm. uh, what I was gonna say about the Kiss song? Um, uh, I forgot what I was gonna say. Well, I'm at a loss for words for my first time on the Tully Show. On the subject of disco in general, like we were saying earlier, you go back and you don't have this baggage. It's not like I'm punk rock, therefore I can't like this. You can like them both. I come around on disco even when I don't like a song, and I'll I'll, I'll put on you know Studio Fifty Four channel on Sirius XM mm-hmm. if I'm driving sometimes just to have it on. Me too. I just love the. It's not something you would have said at the time, but there's this there's this grit to it. You can really feel. I think you can feel like sex coming off of that stuff more than you can even feel off of, say, like a Van Halen record. Without a doubt. David Lee Roth was just waving his balls in front of your face. (laughs) Without a doubt. (laughs) And yet I feel the, I can smell the sex and the drugs coming off of disco. You feel like you're in Studio 54. You know, you're like, you you, you remember, you just feel like you were there. It's nasty. Disco's nasty. It's got that rhythm, dude. It's that guitar, like, you know. And and if you don't like it, you don't like it. And I can certainly see the reasons. I don't love all of it. And I can see reasons why people wouldn't. But there's no avoiding the fact that a lot of the backlash at the time was because disco embraced um uh, it was very black and it was very gay yes absolutely. and that was very un- very, very not yeah. se- remember the disco sucks uh blow up at comiskey park the white Sox. that's right yeah. yeah bill veck put yeah, together exactly. the disco sucks thing and they had to cancel the second half of a double header yeah, or something because they, that 10 cent beer night on a disco sucks night <laughs> in chicago yeah 
But but the vitriol associated with disco, it took a long time for the stink of disco to go away. Even though there were still so many bands that were completely still doing disco. Oh, Duran Duran's a disco you band. You just didn't call them that anymore. That's right. I mean, John, listen, John Taylor's bass lines in Duran Duran. They're all Nile Rodgers chic bass lines. Yep. I'll be the first to admit you that. You're right. You're right. And then, of course, probably the greatest synthesis of uh, disco and classic rock. So funny, man. It's crazy. So, it's... And you would never call this a disco song unless you were breaking it down right now in this show we're doing. This has been one of Will Pendarvis's bones of contention for years. So, and, and, and what in what capacity? It's a disco song. Oh, you never noticed that? You didn't. It's totally. It's totally a disco song. It's just he. It's a very important to Will that everybody realizes that that it's not a disco. That it is. Oh, that it is. Yeah, yeah it, it is. is. And he's a huge Pink Floyd fan. The only argument against it. Would would be the the tempo. You it's a dan- real well, you can't dance to yeah. It. You can't dance to it. Yeah, but the guitar mm-hmm. is straight out of you know. Well, uh, the drums and the guitar put yeah, together. Just, I think you speed that up. You know, a couple of BPMs. You've got a, you know a top ten disco classic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But also the subject matters. You know what I mean? When you hear kids singing in the back, it takes the disco kind of out of it. Yeah, you know? agreed, agreed. Um, but it is a disco song. Yeah, it and is. That's a band adapting to what's happening at the time. Of course, Blondie had Heart of Glass. One of the best songs of all time. Yeah, and I, don't, I love that song. I guess you had to be there to understand why you were supposed to be angry about Blondie doing disco because it seemed I, pretty natural to me. I, I, me too. <laughs> in New York City. I mean, come on. Exactly. Well, I think because that was that was the point. Is there were these warring factions, is uh, especially because they came with the punk rock downtown. There are yeah. CBGB's band. Right. Downtown is Max's. Is, Max's CBGB is punk, and and uh, it's like when you. Um, it's like when you date the cool girl with like the nose piercing in high school, who you know is like way too attractive to be with you, but she, you guys all like the damned and right. stuff like right. that. Right, right, right. And then at a certain point, the captain of the football team is like, "Wait a second, <laughs> I like the damn too." Yeah, yeah. That gross chick's kind of hot, <laughs> and then all of a sudden she cleans up right, right. Like, oh, piercing fuck, goes away. You already had all the other girls. Why <laughs> did you take <laughs> ours too? That's what happened with Blondie. That's so true, dude. Um, she was my first crush uh-huh. I, I she's the first that like made my 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 bits and pieces feel it sounds gross but like sexual yeah like i was i remember that was third fourth grade watching her on uh like some new year's eve thing going oh my god i'm in love with this person in love with her yeah yeah it's funny when you're a little too young to catch that no matter how much they're waving their bits in your yeah. face because i yeah. remember us me and my sister we watch mtv constantly mm-hmm. and um uh let's get physical oh that was, but, boy, that's a good one She's so great. She's so pretty, and then her whole her, her fitness, oh, the whole thing. Yeah, that was a killer. And if you ask me, that's a song about exercising. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, so I those, wonder who wrote that song, man. I don't. I don't know. So much of her really great stuff is um, is is ELO stuff. Uh, is Jeff Lynne? Well, yeah, you know Xanadu and Got to Believe. Oh yeah, you can definitely. Magic. That is such a great, such song. a good song. God, that's a good. Very disco as well. I don't think hopefully devoted to you. I think that was that's more like a David Foster type song. I don't know but. who wrote the Grease stuff, but the Grease stuff is. Oh, it was. Uh, it was. Um, it wasn't. It wasn't. Him. The Grease songs are really, really good. I don't think people think of them as like just Classics. songs, as like no. songs. Yeah, because it made of, the movie. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. If yeah. you didn't have those songs, the movie is just you know it's Grease too. 
Every now and again, I get it in my head that the song "Grease" by Frankie Valli might be the best song I've ever heard. It, it's it's pretty good, it's man. It's great, pretty dude. damn good. And "Beauty School Dropout" is mm-hmm. awesome. "Beauty School," I, I that song that, that again, that's the soundtrack that makes the movie to me. For sure, for sure. Well, and let's not forget uh, young John Travolta, Olivia Newton-John. It pretty much had everything. Pretty good stuff. Stocker there. Channing. Good stuff there. Okay, so that pretty much encapsulates the good of the disco yes. crossovers. And then there was everybody else who just was like, "Well, everybody else is doing it. Why can't we?" To uh, paraphrase the cranberries. <laughs> well played. <laughs> well played. I love this, man. We're going to have a fight. Yeah. I love I'm, this. I'm more of a McCartney apologist than most. This is just so creative to me. Clever. There's also a new wave feel to it, so he's mixing new wave and disco to me. He's taking both of what the, uh, the taste of the day were. Yeah. He definitely was at the deep end of the drum machine presets. Without a doubt. Anybody who's ever bought a little like preset drum machine thing knows you find the two or three that you can use. And, and then you go, them. And then you go, what the fuck is everybody doing with number 78 through 140? That's, totally That's where Paul McCartney started, be it this or, uh, you know, uh, Wonderful Christmas Time. Totally. Or, you Yeah, you do not like, you, Paul McCartney... I know I am because you hate Wonderful Christmas Time. Have we talked about that? Uh, I, I don't believe I said that. Yes, you did. I have a weird sort of. You said you can't stand it. I said it reminds me of the part of where uh, Christmas night where you realize Christmas is over and you've had too much to drink <laughs> right. and eggnog and, and cheese dip. Too, don't so, agree with you. And, and like everything you looked forward to about the holidays is gone. It's gone. That's the one that sort but of. But it is very evocative. Maybe it doesn't evocative. evoke things that I. Maybe it's a very melancholy uh, indigestion kind of thing. Maybe it's that, too. Maybe yeah. it's a personal experience thing. But I think that song is great, dude, because I don't necessarily think disco when I hear that. Okay. And the bass is so great. I mean, obviously, you know, Paul McCartney mixed that. The bass is so loud, that song, but it makes it great. But I think that's I think that's a clever adaptation of disco because I okay. think there's some new way thrown in I mean look I, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to change your mind but you are you're you're not even giving me anything it doesn't offend me to me like many like almost all solo McCartney it just kind of lays there yeah I hear you I, I that, to me that's to... not a big miss it's yeah. not a giant miss no I agree with that I will get to the ugly I um I listened to the most recent McCartney album top to bottom the other day just because I see I haven't done that who has? I, well, that's what we were talking about earlier about the yeah. streaming. Was it good? Is it good? Um, I definitely enjoyed the work that the producers did. Like, it's a McCartney song, and you're like, I can, I can tell you what this would have sounded like if it had been recorded in the '70s, and what it would have been sound like if it was in the '80s. His material doesn't change with the times, but he brings in the hot young producers who are all super excited to get a shot with Paul McCartney. Right. And they just give it the bells and whistles of, of nowadays. Of today. I, it's interesting to me to hear, like, it's a it's a Rubik's Cube. Of but how do you do think you... there's a hit in there? Because, like... Okay, this is really embarrassing, but there's a song that's in Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs too mm-hmm. that I heard 20 million times when my... Which is also my favorite children's movie right. of my uh, kids' uh, childhood, so far at least. Um... It got drilled into my head from that, so it's not really fair. And What's there is the some, song? It's called. It's the uh, title track. It's called New. Uh-huh. Uh, I'll play it for you. It's, it's McCartney. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, here first, while I look for that, enjoy, um, enjoy this classic disco crossover from, you might be able to guess. The Grateful Dead, man. Yeah. Right? But I like this song too, man. I mean, this is like Yacht Rock. 
This is, it's so Yacht Rock, it's scary. It's like Bertie Higgins. This is a song that got me into the Grateful Dead. Oh, yeah? Yes. To show you how uncool I am. Woo! Shake down street. I mean, we're almost working at the car wash. But you know, you know, we're, we're very close. It's amazing that someone... Uh, Influenced them to do this or yeah. convince them to do this. I think it was just something in the air. It was really powerful, man. It's a groove, though, baby. Yeah. It's a groove. I'm not offended by this either. Dude, if you're on acid and you're crying, you're hearing that. Do what we want. We can live as we choose. Why are you going to hate this? You see, there's no guarantee. we got nothing to lose. I love this. It's fucking great. This sounds like old Beatles. It's really good. Who produced it? He had like four producers in the album. This is great. It's fucking great, dude. Oh my God. It's a great song. It's a title track. of Nothing else in the album is this good. This is the best song I've heard Paul McCartney since Veronica collaboration with, with the Elvis yeah. Costello. And it's only really, he's only got 45 seconds. He just sort of does in the loop. But they're good. I wonder if he wrote this. Or did Jellyfish write this? Like the guys in Jellyfish go, we got something. Yeah. Do you a, know what I mean? At a certain point, I think an artist almost owes it to the world to be like, okay, everybody who's super obsessed with me, here's your chance. Write me something. Make or, one for me. Yeah, the sports it, writer Bill Simmons used to have a, a, a great joke about how um, uh, Bruce Springsteen should have an album called Songs I Should Have Sang. That's that's such a great idea because to me this sounds like a guy trying to write an old Beatles song that yeah. Paul would never do. Uh huh. So this is someone in love with the Beatles, i.e. a Jellyfish, a band like that, mm-hmm. or the Wonder Mints, or the guys that uh, you know back up uh, Brian Wilson and all those great those great bands, or the yeah. Wax Apples, and said uh, we've got this, and it makes perfect sense that it was on a soundtrack. So it's easy for him to finesse into that. You know what I mean? Well, it, it's it's not a soundtrack, but it's also the title track of his of his first album in five years or whatever. So it's not some little throwaway thing. Wait, is this brand new? That came out, f- uh, I don't know, five years ago. That's a great song. It's really it's good. It feels it, like I've heard it before, but it's new. Well, maybe That's, you watched Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs, too. I, I've definitely watched that before. It's I fucking think this terrific. Is probably, I think I, it's towards the end, because I've probably No, no, asleep. no. It's right in the beginning okay. when he moves to San Francisco. No, San Francisco is uh, Baymax. Jesus Christ. <laughs> I, going I can't remember I, I can't remember the name of Mark Hoppus's new band, but I can tell I you the intricate plot points of Big Hero 6. When was the last time you saw a movie you wanted to see in the theater? <laughs> right? That's what I say all the time with kids. When was the last time you saw a movie you wanted to see in the theater? I no, I told time. I told my wife that I have the impossible dream of us going to see us, and <laughs> right. I know it's not it ain't gonna, it ain't gonna happen. That is the impossible dream. So here's a disco crossover, whatever number we're up to. It's Elton John, right? It is not. This is not good. No. Well, I'm guessing the best guy in the band, the only reason anybody was there in the first place, was not involved with this, like so much of their later era stuff. I'm stumped. I, this I, is, I think there's two versions of this song. I think they discoed up one of their own songs. This one's it's about seven minutes strong of Here Comes the Night by the Beach Boys. Wow. 
Okay, that's Carl Wilson singing then. It's not Mike. Okay. I think Al's my guy. Al? Who wrote? Who's, who did The Traitor? Al that Jardine. so funny. Al Jardine. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. that's like... He, well, I mean, there's so many talented vocalists in that. That that is bad, bad, bad. And I am a huge Beach Boys fan. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. You have uh, I forgot you've uh, collaborated with gigantic them. Beach Boys fan. And what what's the name of the song again? Here comes the night. And what what record was it off? Did you have a, is it? It's called um, L A. The Light Album. Wow, I wonder if it's all disco. I don't know about that. I did fishing around. Obviously, if I'm going to say, oh, listen, of course. To, listen to this bad thing so and so did. I'm going to check out a couple songs from the album and see if I'm truly finding the most putrid one. You know what's amazing about that? There are zero Beach Boys not in that. There's not even a, you know what I mean? I, they weave in a little bit of the I harmony little, shit. Yeah. yeah, but there's no like layered, stacked, beautiful vocals. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then there's there's this. I don't know how remarkable this one is. I wonder what the label's influence was. Like, you know, we're not giving you any money unless you try, you know. Interesting well, stories. It, also, and- it always struck me, I don't follow the Beach Boys very closely but they were willing to play ball they wanted to stay relevant and i think without that they, a doubt they saw that their brand was southern california fun and if the face of that was changing in the culture i, I can see intellectually talking yourself into definitely disco is what's cool disco's all over la we're the beach boys we're the face of fun in la absolutely it only makes sense for us to do this we weren't supposed to be you know, a bunch of grown men pretending that all we needed was our surfboard right. and our, you know. You're that, totally that, correct. That's disingenuous in its own way. And let's not forget, they kind of made a change. They came out all like, you know, clean cut with the striped shirts and stuff. Then they went super hippy dippy. Remember, yeah. good vibrations, like they had long yeah. hair and beards and stuff. So I thought maybe they maybe they think maybe making that uh, transition was just sort of organic, you know. But yeah. boy, disco will come back and bite you in the rear. Yeah. I mean, th- this is a perfect example of us. We, you know, we tried to work with Pharrell in 2001, the Neptunes, they were kind of happening. They worked with everybody. Yeah, they've worked, believe me. A song that they gave us, and it ended up, Blink-182 ended up recording it, believe it or not. I just go, I don't think this is us. Even I made the stamp, I go, I just, I don't think, I'm not buying it. I don't think anybody else will buy it. So we, uh, we, uh, we, uh, navigated away towards our sort of disco era, if you will. Mm-hmm. But you know, look, that would have been your disco if you had done the Neptune song. It might have been. That is precisely the phenomenon it's exactly that we're talking what I'm about. Ta- because you know, once you have hit records, man, you don't want to stop. Of course not. Of it's course amazing. not. There's not a band in the world that ever said, oh, "I don't want to do it." Eddie Vedder wanted more hit records and said he didn't. But you know, yeah, you yeah, do. yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's an amazing experience, and you're so fortunate and grateful to have been there at all. So the idea is to stay there. It's a careful what you ask for sort of proposition. I wonder what it's like to be. A Pharrell and a, and a Chad Hugo at that point in time where you literally can't write songs fast enough. Right. I, I, I met a guy one time who was telling me that we were in some little recording studio and he said he'd seen um, Will I Am get the phone call. They need a song for some commercial. They'll pay you, you know, a quarter of a million dollars. Right. And he fucking sits there and boop, 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 sends it off. They go, can you make it a little bit more? You know, and he's like, okay. Boop, yeah. boop, 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 boop. And then. Thank you. You're good. Checks in the mail. Imagine that. And that's at the height of Black Eyed Peas, and everybody was satisfied. Everybody won there, you know? They, they wanted the aesthetic. They wanted the Black Eyed Peas sound. They wanted the name. Everybody and, and wins. what it must have been like when you're the Neptunes at that point, where it's like, well, you're going to, first you're going to serve the artists that you can't say no to because of how big and how much money they're giving you, right. and then you'll serve all the artists that you're genuinely interested in working with, and then you'll make your own stuff because you do want to do that, and then there will still be a line down the block <sighs> of people who want the screen. Craps. Imagine that. And dude, I'll tell you, we went to record plant here and in LA. And a lot of shit was good, too. I mean, it wasn't just, oh, you know. Oh, no. Yeah. It was, and still today. Yeah. I mean, 20 years later, he's still on the you know the vanguard of what, what's cool and, and what's not. True. Uh, we were at the record plant. He had all three studios booked out. Uh-huh. Uh, Ludacris was in one. Britney Spears was in the other. And we were in another one. And he was just going in between the studios. Uh, 
you know, overseeing what we oh were doing. Oh, my God. Yeah, exactly what you're talking about. And then just cashing money and just checks. Well, sadly, we are out of no, time man. already. We didn't even get to. I'll just give you a taste of. I don't know. Is this ugly? I guess it's in the ear of the beholder. You may know him as the godfather of soul, but for one album in the late 70s, James Brown built build himself as the, the original disco, disco man. It's not bad. Knowing, knowing the source makes it not bad. He's taking you through the chronology of how you've been you've been dancing to me all this time. It right. only makes sense that... Don't forget who really is the architect of I this thing the, here. Listen to my backup singers. I am the original disco man. You see, if he just laid off the lyrical <laughs> thing, you know what I mean? We get it. We love you, James Brown. <laughs> there's no James Brown in it. There's a... It's all a bunch of chicks. Yeah. Um, James Brown gets a pass. I don't care. Yeah. So, I mean, Sex Machine was disco before we even knew what it was. Right, right, right. Oh, dude, that was a fun theme. So yes. Long. Well, there's more where that came from. We didn't even get to... Uh, did Led Zeppelin make a disco song? No. Some might say... No. I don't know. I don't Next know. time. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. You are uh, at Mark underscore McGrath. I am indeed. And you're markmcgrath.com. Summer tour date's coming up. Yeah, and love hearing from you guys about the show. I mean, we'll get back to you. We really appreciate it. We have as much fun doing it, hopefully, as you do listening. <laughs> I'll figure out how to work this place someday. It's your good thing.